Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Isaiah chapter number 6. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to a text that we know. Songs have been written about it. It's probably preached at just about every commissioning, ordination imaginable. So Lord, help us to look at it today with fresh eyes. Help us to see something that we've never seen before. And in doing so, help us to go share something that we've never shared. Served you in ways that we've never served. And above all else, known you in ways that we have never known. Father, grant me the words... That you want those who have gathered together to listen, to hear. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite television shows is the British sci-fi hit Doctor Who. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the television show Doctor Who, first off, you need to watch it. Secondly, let me tell you a little bit about him. Or in the instance of the 13th regeneration, her. Doctor Who is a native of the alien planet of Gallifrey. And Doctor Who travels through time and space, always seemingly battling some... Dalek or Cyberman or some other variety of bad guys. He travels, well, she travels in something called a TARDIS, which on the outside looks like a plain English police box, has the same um, composition as one, same size as one. But once you walk through the door, you find yourself in a place so large it is beyond imagination. In fact, everyone who enters the TARDIS on the show for the first time generally says the same thing with no small amount of surprise. It's bigger on the inside. Doctor Who has been on for over 50 years, and every time someone new enters the TARDIS, those who have watched it faithfully for so long, 
expect that those words are going to be uttered. It's bigger on the inside. When I approached the text for this sermon, I could not help but think about the TARDIS and reactions to it again and again. Because just as the viewer is always expecting those first-time guests to say it's bigger on the inside, you and I generally come to this text and already presume to know what the text is going to say. And, and maybe you have already sat there this morning and looked at the text and you, because you have heard this text preached so many times, have already figured out all of my points. You know this text. But I fear that our knowledge of this text, our, our, our seemingly endless familiarity with this text, has corrupted it for us and caused us to miss the bigger picture, to see that it's bigger on the inside. For you see, very often when we approach this text, we, we have an anthropocentric reading of it. I threw that word in just in case Howard was watching this week. Anthropocentric, is, it means that it's centered upon man. And we read this text and we, we focus in on Isaiah and we focus in on what Isaiah is saying, what Isaiah is feeling, and we take Isaiah to be our substitute in the passage. But by doing so, we make humanity's role in this passage far larger than it should be. And we put God in a box. He is easier to handle that way, let's be truthful. So maybe taking him out of the box this morning is something that we should seek to do. Because if we take a different approach to it, a theocentric approach in which God is central to it, we learn more about Him. More things about Him come to light. In other words, in the words of the, tech, of the title of the sermon, we have a theophanic epiphany. But what does this bringing to light, having an epiphany of this new central view of God, in other words, the theophany, show us? Well, first, it shows us that God is at work in the world and He really is bigger than anything you and I can imagine. Notice verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah, who had been king for approximately 50-some years, is dead. And with his death, there is a tremendous amount of upheaval and unease. And in the middle of all this, what does God do? He shows up. 
he shows up to Isaiah and he says, I'm still here. And based off of what he's going to say later on in the text to Isaiah, he says, I still have a message to the world. I'm still going to be working in the world. I'm still going to be working to orchestrate things for good in the world. Surely Isaiah is, is, is uneased by what's going on after the death of such a longtime ruler. Certainly he is in a trial and a tribulation. And God says to him, understand something. As you look upon me, see that I am bigger than all those things that you're facing. Beloved, you and I make our problems very large sometimes. And we think that our problems are so large that God is insufficient for the moment when nothing can be further from the truth. You ever notice the part of that verse that talks about the fact that the, the, the train of his robe filled the temple? In other words, the temple is a, is a synonym here for palace. In other words, it filled the place where God resides. And you and I might look at that and we say, oh, it filled the place. And we might think it's, you know, maybe it's strung up and down the floor or something. But when you look at that word filled, filled means filled. It means right up there to the brim. So, so when Isaiah says, I have seen the Lord and his train filled the temple... In other words, that's about all Isaiah could see because the rest of God was so high up because everything there in his immediate sight was filled. Beloved, if God is that big, he's big enough to handle anything that you and I may face. And let's understand one other point as we look upon his size and come reacquainted with it. You and I could spend the rest of our life in pursuit of knowing all that there is to know about God. And at the end, we'd only know just a thimbleful. The great scholar Thomas Aquinas at the end of his life had a great vision of God and he had wrote one of the premier treatises on God and theology. It's called the Summa Theologica. And after that, and it's a massive work, after that Aquinas said, burn it because it's like, hey, it's nothing compared to what I've seen. Beloved, too often you and I fall guilty of the trap of thinking we know everything there is to know about God and he's bigger than anything you and I know together. We took all of the books that have ever been written about him. All the knowledge that there is about God. It still wouldn't get us anywhere close. So maybe we should take a step back. And recognize him for his size. Secondly, we should notice that the holiness of God is powerful. Verse number 2 says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Did you notice that the announcement of the holiness of God shakes the place that Isaiah finds himself in? As these two seraphim call back and forth one to the other and announce the holiness of God as they do, the whole place shakes. Let me ask you something this morning. Does the holiness of God ever shake you? Does it shake you in how you... uh, comprehend him does it shake you and how you encounter him does it shake you and what you do for him and how how you live your life you know sometimes I think that that we have narrowed down holiness in Christianity today to what we don't drink to what we don't say publicly and to what we don't wear When the holiness of God is so much bigger than that. Beloved, just for a moment, what if we measured our holiness by what we did? Not by what we don't do, but by what we do. Because I feel like that part of what sets God apart... What, what is it, and that's what holiness ultimately means, to be set apart. What is it that sets God apart is what He does. It's about His goodness and His mercy and His grace and His love and all of those other attributes that you and I would attribute to God. What we can look at and see lived out in the life of Jesus And so let's just take one little piece of what Jesus came to do according to his initial sermon in Luke 4 where he came to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted and ask ourselves, are we engaged in that task? Is that setting us apart? In a world that seeks to continuously wound people In a world that seeks to inflict pain, and I don't mean just to inflict pain by stabbing someone. We seek continuously to inflict pain by by what we say and how we treat one another. Imagine how many people currently reside in our county who have been wounded by the church. Some of the most vicious people I have ever met in my life are people who somewhere today are sitting in a pew. And they have inflicted grievous wounds on people. And people who have been seeking the way of Jesus no longer find themselves anywhere closely to being in fellowship with the followers of Jesus because of those people's actions. Are we seeking to bind up the wounds? Or are we inflicting? Beloved, we need to be about that business 
We need to be about the business of what sets us apart is by what we do. Not by what we, we, we don't do, but what we do in the name of Jesus. How we pick up His mission and seek to follow it and show ourselves to be different from the world that is beyond this place. You and I continue to wonder why the world is not holy, why the world is not listening to the message of Jesus. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that the holiness of God doesn't penetrate our hearts and doesn't shake us. So why on earth do we think it would shake anybody else if it doesn't shake the people who are called by God? And maybe it would shake them a little bit if we let it come into us and our actions matched our words. How do we do that? Well, the easiest way to do that that I can think of is to remember that the overarching defining trait of God and therefore the overarching defining trait of our life, what our life should be centered on, is grace. Notice verses 5 through 7. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. In the midst of all of the confusion, in the midst of all the shaking, in the midst of all of the smoke filling the room, in the midst of Isaiah's despair, what pierces it all? It's the grace of God. It is that that angel flying in with that burning coal, touching Isaiah and said, all has been atoned for, all has been forgiven, all has been pushed away. The grace of God is ever-present. And in this place of great shaking, it's not blocked up. I don't think there's a long delay when, when Isaiah says, Woe unto me, what am I going to do? I believe just as Isaiah is saying it, that angel's still flying in and it's almost an instantaneous thing where he says, The Lord of hosts, and that coal touches his lips at the same time because the grace of God is just that close. The grace of God is never, ever on delay. Unless, of course, you and I block it up. Unless you and I say that grace isn't that instant. And so let me ask you this morning, how instant is your grace? How instant is it? You and I think about instant in all sorts of things. Instant grits are not instant. They still are going to take me two minutes. There's a delay on my television by what's actually happening in the ball game and what I'm actually seeing. We think the sunlight is instant, but it takes eight minutes for light to travel from the sun to here. So by the time day breaks, the light is already eight minutes old. 
But God's grace is instant. And He calls us to be instant in grace. To be offering it. But therein I think we need a, a, a fresher understanding because God's grace is varied. It, it abounds, yes, but it abounds in various forms. Sometimes God's grace is consoling to us. It nurtures us like a mother. Sometimes God's grace speaks to us in the sternness of a parent. Sometimes God's grace sanctifies us. In other words, it, it infuses us to make us look more and more like Jesus. Sometimes the grace of God is shown in the silence of God. The fact that God doesn't zap us immediately when we do something wrong is an evidence of His grace. Maybe that's something you and I should consider. Maybe we should consider just simply being and expressing grace silently for just a little bit. Because in doing so, I think it might allow us to hear better. It might allow us to hear better because in, in all that is going on, suddenly Isaiah is able to hear verse number 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now we would read that and we would, we would think simply on the here am I, send me part. But beloved, don't miss the first part in understanding who God is. God is continuously inviting us to participate in His work on earth. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient and omnipresent. But he still invites me and you, finite creatures of clay, with finite knowledge and finite powers, to go and serve him. He allows us to become part of his story. You and I sometimes miss hearing him say that. Because in hearing him say that, we would say, okay, where do you want me to go? But I'm not sure we always do that. We would hear him say, I am inviting you to go represent me. I'm not positive we always do that. And when we do, beloved, does it humble us? Does it cause us to understand that we are... Just his servant, or does it make us think that we are mighty? Does it invigorate us to run to the task instead of doing this and doing that and trying to figure out what we're going to do once we get there? Or do we run to it and say, the Lord has called me, let me get to work? Does it make us question in the midst of us doing our work, whether we're doing our work or his work? 
Whether we're doing what he's called us to or whether we're doing what we want to do. There, beloved, is a vast difference between those two things. And sometimes I think we confuse them. Do we always realize, beloved, that when we are answering His call and we are doing His work, that you and I are standing there for Him? We are His representative. We are doing His work. We are His hands. We are His feet. We are His mouthpiece. And I know that some people would hear that and it would it just scares them beyond anything because they think I can't do that I can't be God's representative I cannot go do what God is calling me to it is too much it is too much it is too much So read verse number 9 And he said go and say to this people Keep on hearing but do not understand keep on seeing but do not perceive Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without habitation, inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a tenebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. There's a last point we need to understand about God. And that is that God measures success by our faithful obedience. What a ministry Isaiah has been called to. Isaiah has been called to go out and to preach and nobody listened. Instead of expecting people to flock with repentance. And pack out the synagogues and the temple. Nobody's going to listen. In fact, they're not going to listen. They're going to grow harder and harder to what he's saying to the point that destruction is going to come upon them. You and I would say that God should measure success by numbers. By how many folks are showing, how many folks are doing God would say this church is successful because it's got this many people. Or God would say that church is successful because it has that many people. But beloved, let me tell you that one of the most faithful churches I have ever served in my life had eight people on Sunday morning. And they went and did and served and served and served and served. And it weren't for long down the road that they saw the fruit of their work, but, Lord, but they stayed faithful. Beloved, God only calls you to obedience and faithfulness. You leave the rest of the work to Him. You may think that you need this to tick off success or that to tick off success. 
In your eyes, it may look like an abysmal failure. But God measures success through your obedience. And if you say, well, my obedience isn't producing much, God don't need a lot. Did you notice that last part of verse number 13? The holy seed is its stump. God only needs a little bit to accomplish a whole lot. Things that look dead, God can bring back to life because he can put the life back in them. Remember that it is from the stump of Jesse shall come forth a root that is Jesus. And boy, oh boy, didn't Jesus accomplish a whole lot. Isn't Jesus still accomplishing a whole lot? Beloved, this text is not about us. This text is about God calling us to understanding that He is bigger than anything that you and I can imagine. That He is calling us to bigger things than you and I can imagine. And that we're saying we can't do it because we think we're too big. But we got to remember that we are small, but he can work mighty things through us. And if we could ever get ourselves out of the way, holy cow, what would he do? If we didn't block up grace... If we were more concerned with what we did to prove our holiness than by what we didn't do. God is calling us to more. Can you hear him do it today? Can you hear him saying it? Is God shaking you in the midst of where you are so that his holiness shakes you? And because it shakes you, you say, Lord, here I am, send me. Let me be an extension of your grace. Love it, it all starts when you realize God's bigger than on the inside. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we sing holy, holy, holy today, that it would blow our minds. And that, Lord, it would consume us with a holy vision of you, a theophanic epiphany. And that as we see you, Lord, and your holiness extends into us, that, Lord, we would rush to your service. We would rush to bind up the broken. We would rush to bring sight to the blind, to free the oppressed prisoner, 
to realize, Lord, that we are called to both a spiritual function and a physical function in this world. Lord, let our lives be a continual, continual statement of holy, holy, holy. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.